You're listening to a podcast from the British Academy, the UK's national body for the humanities and social sciences. I'm Adrian Evans. I'm reader in media in the Centre for Post-Digital Cultures at Coventry University. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Guy Candy, Desire and the Future of Romance. The Tube Crush project started when I was shown Tube Crush by a colleague who was a photography lecturer and he was looking at it in terms of street photography and how the images on Tube Crush relate to street photography. As a gender researcher it was really fascinating for me given the kinds of images that are on there and actually that Tube Crush at first glance appears to do that thing of reversing what we take for granted I suppose that we usually see images of women and these were images of men being shared and the idea that we were allowed to find these bodies desirable and attractive and so on. So that was what got me first thinking about Tube Crush. The project changed slightly when we started to explore what Tube Crush actually was. So we started thinking about all the different kind of connections that Tube Crush makes. So there's something fascinating about the fact, for example, that it's very London-centric. So you've got the busy city of London, you've got the financial industries, you've got the global centre of the world and commerce and all that kind of stuff. And within that, you've got this desire, desire of particular kinds of men. We were also interested in the way that it works as a space linking work and the home. So you've got the uh, technology of the mobile phone, you've got your emails, you've got your colleagues tweeting each other and messaging each other all the time. Um, And then you've got this added layer of finding people attractive on your way to work. So we were quite interesting with how that desire cuts across those different areas as well. Another layer of it that we also found really fascinating was the way that it kind of mimics some of the feminist activism that's been happening on the tube. So for example, we've had things like the reaction to uh, women who eat on the tube, which was a big controversial website that was posting images of women eating on the tube, quite literally eating on the tube. And there was a feminist protest against that website. There was a picnic on the tube. So there was a lot going on around it. We ended up thinking of the Tube Crush project as almost like a map of the tube itself, where these different topics overlap and intersect. And in terms of our methodology, we began then to think of it in terms of, you know, you get off at the different tube stations, you get on another line. So you're able to move around the city in the same way that we were moving around the project. Tube Crush is a site that allows people to post and share unsolicited images of attractive men on the London Underground. If you see somebody attractive on the London Underground, the idea is that you can take a sneaky photograph of them, which, again, I would say is enabled by technology. So it's the fact that our mobile phones allow us to take a picture, especially on a place like the Tube, where we don't have Wi-Fi. So we're almost, and I'm aware that I'm... (laughs) I'm doing the posture, but nobody can see the posture. But we know what the posture is to take a sneaky photograph. It then allows you to send it on to the Tube Crush owner, and they then add a cheeky caption. And again, this cheekiness has been an important part of the project in terms of it makes the politics ambivalent. If it was really about challenging the kinds of images that we typically see, which are largely women, it would be more political in its captions. It's not. It's really tongue-in-cheek. It's about the humour. It's about the campness. It's about the playfulness, which then makes the political critique almost mute. One of the features of Tube Crush is the use of a tag cloud. So they tag the images under categories, so you get the usual categories that you might expect, so things like cute, sophisticated, good-looking, handsome, attractive. 
but you also get things like body parts, like legs, torso, and so on. But the other interesting thing about the tag cloud is it also names the tube lines that these attractive men are found on. The northern line is one of the biggest tags on the tag cloud, which is really interesting given that it, it does pass through London's gay village of Soho and also through those more tech-savvy spaces such as Camden. So there's a particular geography involved in the locations of desire as well. A big part of the project has been a visual analysis of those images. And one of the fascinating things about those images is how interchangeable and inter-exchangeable they are. So, for example, most of the men that appear on, on Tube Crush are white, most of them are middle class, most of them have objects on them that demonstrate wealth. So it's a very normative idea of what is sexy in a man. I think this is really fascinating given how far we have supposed to have come that we seem to reorient back to this kind of very normative idea of of what is attractive. And again, you see that in the newspaper coverage of Tube Crush. What quite often happens is they heteronormatise Tube Crush. So quite often they'll say, oh, women taking pictures of men on the London Underground. It's not just women. It's straight women and gay men who are taking these images. So again, that's been quite an interesting angle in thinking about how, despite the potential of this website, it actually just moves us back into place. On the one hand, we have this attractive man in the expensive suit, which I think we need to be really careful about how we desire that body given that if we think about recent history the 2008 financial crash the man in the suit became an object of protest it's also a demonstration of men's economic power of their dominance over particular groups of people to have that kind of wealth at one point we were really really angry about suits and yet it seems like what we have appearing on websites like tube crush is a renewed desire in the suit and then the second kind of type of masculinity that we see quite often on Tube Crush is the muscle man. So it's typically men who appear as though they're on their way to or coming back from the gym. They often have the gym bag, they often have the sports clothes, and that's the thing that's being desired. And this really interestingly links into some um, a lot of feminist research. So Yvonne Tasker wrote about the muscle body in the 80s as being a reaction to feminism. So we had the feminism of the 70s and the 80s responded with people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone and so on. We would argue that a similar thing is happening today with the muscular body. The one that always really fascinates me is Tom Hardy, because I can understand why Tom Hardy is desirable and attractive. And yet conflicts in my head with my feminist self, because my feminist self is saying to me, actually, he is quite often representing very dangerous men, very violent men, very scary men. And, and feminism has for a long time told us that those muscular bodies are the ones that are potentially dangerous. So yeah, it's really interesting that we have these two kind of types of masculinity being overrepresented in a website like Tube Crush. We wrote a press release about the Tube Crush project. Then one morning the Daily Mail picked it up and then the Sun picked it up. And the Daily Mail one was really interesting. It got something like 3,500 comments on it, which we have actually turned into one of the outputs of this project because some of the comments on there were kind of, I, mean, I got a lot of emails as well telling me that this, this website is evil and uh, what were you thinking doing this kind of project and how dare you and that sort of thing. And I think this is part of the culture as well because we're seeing this heightened anger 
about images of attractive men. So we've had the Gillette advert recently. There's one that I talk about in the presentation, the Lumen advert, which is a dating advert for the over 50s, which people seem to get angry about. We've analysed the comments that we received on the Daily Mail in terms of them attempting to discredit feminist research. And I do think it's that pushback to the visibility of feminism at the moment and this sense that masculinities are under threat and therefore feminism needs to be aggressively shut down. So one of the things that's fascinating about Chew Crush is we tend to think about it in terms of love and desire and attraction. In fact, Chew Crush themselves did try and set up a dating website uh, that didn't actually last very long. But, but there's an obvious link there between actually seeing somebody that you fancy and eventually hopefully going on a date or, or some kind of relationship with them. And again, the captions within Chew Crush tend to play that up quite a lot. So there's lots of talk about princes and there's a sense in, in a certain number of captions of the potentiality of a future relationship with that person. Chew Crush has these associations with love and romance. It has this idea, this kind of fleeting moment of seeing somebody that we find attractive. However, our understandings of what love and romance mean have changed over time, but only subtly. So, for example, if we look to popular music, we do tend to imagine love and romance and desire through the language of pop music. Popular music is really influential. If we think of our favourite comedy, if we think of our favourite romantic advert, we do tend to associate it with a particular kind of music. But in fact, the history of that music is very, very old. So if we go back to the 12th century in France, a group of travelling musicians called the Troubadours used to tour the nobility and the courts of France. And they used to sing love songs to the women of the court, except the women of the court were often married. And it's from there that we get our definition of love, romance, desire, to, or of true love. And again, it was the troubadours who located love as coming from the heart as well. So that idea that we associate with love and the heart, that comes back from these travelling musicians. Part of the reason why the idea of adulterous love was so important was because marriage wasn't in fact about love. So marriage was about social status. We married into status. And if we had status, we shared that value with other people. Whereas the idea that somebody was finding us you know, attractive because of their feelings was actually something quite special. The idea of romantic love didn't actually change again until the 19th century, where we see the introduction of the romantic novel. So here we see a couple of interesting things happen. Firstly, love gets communicated as an enduring passion. So although the idea of the loveless marriage uh, was still very dominant in the idea of of marriage to secure social status. The romance novel did challenge the institution of marriage, that marriage was only about status. Secondly, we get the idea that women are loved, like with the troubadours, but they also have the capacity to love back. And in the form of the book, the idea of love becomes something that's bought and sold, and again, often to women. So love begins to make a profit, which again is really important in terms of the development of history. And then finally, the technology. So it's only because of the development of the printing presses that this commodity was able to be shared as widely as it was. It's important to remember that the printing press wasn't the first time technology influenced the way that we understand love and romance. Music is a form of technology and the way we record it and the way we uh, use instruments always involves technology. It's that kind of thing of, you know, where does technology start? Does it start when we pick up the stone? So really that idea of technology does run all the way through our history. And again, it's that idea that the technology that we have today isn't necessarily anything new. It's just a development of a very, very old story.
So one of the interesting things to think through is this idea of the dystopian or the utopian. It's really interesting if we think of the the current stories that we have right now. So we have things like Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, the Hang the DJ episode, which was kind of dystopian, but seemed to also promise something in terms of, you know, it was a 99.8% chance of finding your ideal person. And, and actually the two characters do find their ideal person, but only by challenging the system which is the dating company that the the dating in the future happens through we also have a lot of feminist science fiction that tries to imagine utopian futures where gender doesn't exist anymore but also those dystopian feminist novels such as and, and the big one at the moment of course is Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale which tries to imagine the dystopian logical conclusions of what it already exists but actually what the the Tube Crush project shows us is it's a complex mixture of these things. We're not looking at a utopia or a dystopia. We're looking at the progression of a narrative throughout history that's that's slowly changing. And that's the interesting things about the utopian and dystopian ways of imagining the future of love in the now is that they all seem quite recognisable. People wouldn't be dressing in the Handmaid's Tale outfit if there wasn't something in the now that was recognisable in that dystopia. So I think we're just seeing a kind of circulation of, of these dystopias and utopias. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the British Academy. To hear more like this, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your own podcast app by searching The British Academy. To find out more about the work the British Academy does, including upcoming events, please visit thebritishacademy.ac.uk.